Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. At the moment, I'm a, I'm a suffering Baltimore Orioles fan watching uh, them on the verge of getting swept out of the playoffs. So uh, instead, I'm going to focus on giving you guys a fine podcast. Today, I spoke with our guy, Logan Paulson, earlier uh, to give us a look at what he thinks these guys can do to fix this leaky defense, uh, what else is possible to change on this offense, how do they get Jahan Dotson going, uh, a lot of really interesting stuff to get into with Logan Paulson, and we'll get to that in a few moments here on the Standard Groom Only podcast, uh, which of course you can find on iTunes or anywhere you do your podcasting. As for The Athletic, uh, I'll have a new story up in the morning on how this three-game losing streak has essentially exposed Washington's lack of options, particularly coming off the bench. You know, it's not like the the, the main players that we all talk about, your, your McLaurins, your Allens, your Sweat, have been poor. It's just that when they're not completely in control – they're, the other holes, or the other spots are just not picking them up, and then even worse, they're getting beat, as we have seen on the offensive line and the secondary, etc. So uh, that will be up on the Athletic Wednesday morning. And then, of course, tomorrow, meaning Wednesday, also starts three days of practices ahead of Sunday's game against Atlanta. Now, Washington, of course, um, well, not I shouldn't say of course, but Washington is been you know healthy so far this season. That of course has now changed. They've placed Derek Forrest and Jeremy Reeves on IR. Both will miss at least four games. Um, on Forrest, I was told it's a fractured shoulder. They are still determining how long he will be out. Needless to say, just from a option standpoint, it would be key to have him back. I don't think Forrest has had a. He's been. He's not been as impactful or as good as he was last year he has more missed tackles so far seven than he did all of last year with six nonetheless young guy obviously a big hitter and he's been a, a steady presence for them so that is a notable loss whereas for jeremy reeves uh, you know the pro bowl and all pro special team selection last year a great locker room guy some depth and safety even though they effectively never use him there um he suffered a knee injury when I saw him after the game he said to me he didn't think it was as bad as it looked but I was told that it is the fear is it's an ACL um the there's more exams to come to determine the full extent of the injury but it doesn't sound great or at least there's the fear that it doesn't sound great so he could be out beyond the four weeks and maybe the season if it's the if it is the worst case scenario and that's a special teams group that right now you know the special teams we we, we, we talk all the time about Tressway being the MVP um, of the team and, and in general the special teams have been pretty good but this year they are 28th overall in DVOA um, according to the met you know uh, the metrics from Aaron Schatz. So that's a loss on top of their struggles to not have Jeremy Reeves around. By the way, as an aside, I thought it was odd. I know they haven't been giving extensions out to players this year as they wait for the ownership change 
to uh, as they waited for the ownership change to happen, and now they just haven't. Uh, anyway, but you know, it's one thing to debate giving Montez Sweat twenty plus million a year or Cam Curl a big number. What what is Jeremy Reeves costing? Nothing. Like I, I, to to give him to the to give him the tender and not just figure out a way to get another year. I don't know. I mean, it's not my money, and maybe I'm you know I don't I, I don't believe he his side is asking for anything crazy. So I don't know. Weird to me that he has he didn't get an extension. I think if the new owners want to do something nice that I think would also help the team, I'd give the guy an extension. I mean, he's, he's, it's a great story, as we all know, of, of where he came from and the perseverance to get where he got last year. So for him to potentially be out for the rest of the year with a knee injury and have the unfu- uncertain future um, as a free agent, you know, I think it would be nice to keep him around and and reward a guy who obviously has been a pretty hard worker for them. Um, okay, all that said, they promoted linebacker to John Harris and safety uh I want to say Terrell Burgess. Yes, Terrell Burgess. Uh, to uh, to the 53-player roster. And they also signed three guys to the practice squad, including Joshua Kalu, who was with the team. He's a safety. He has, he has NFL experience. He was with them this summer. And Joshua Pryor, defensive end out of Bowie State, who was also, also with the team this summer. Um I would imagine Dejon Harris is around more for special teams help and Burgess. He was, you know, to give them some depth. You're now looking at Cam Curl, Quan Martin, uh, Percy Butler, who I would imagine will be the the lead to replace Forrest directly. But obviously, this should give Martin a chance to get his first defensive snaps in the NFL. A second round pick, waiting till week six to get a snap. It's kind of odd, but that's where they're at right now. Um, it's such an interesting dynamic, and Logan and I talked about this, but the fact that w- w- we were coming off this Thursday game where Emmanuel Forbes gets benched after a second straight game where he's giving up big plays in the passing attack and missing tackles uh, where he just doesn't look particularly engaged on the play. So the the question was, uh, is he going to get benched? You know, what's going to happen? And now... You know, now it's more like, well, I guess he's going to almost kind of have to play to some degree, potentially, right? Because of, of their missing guys, like that fifth defensive back. You're now looking at Percy Butler, who the Bears went after in the passing game this last week. Quan Martin, who has not played a snap yet. Forbes or Danny Johnson, who, you know, we've talked about plenty here. You know, again, I'm not putting Danny Johnson in the Daryl Green category, but he's generally solid. Um, I would imagine he'll play at least somewhat this week, if not more than Forbes. But um, that's kind of where they're at right now as the fifth defensive back. So, um, you know, a group that showed a lot of promise this summer, they're going to need one of those guys to really step up. There's talent there, but they're going to need one of those guys at least to get to be a little more consistent. I, I kind of – and by the way, like if that's a, that's with Butler as the second safety. And that's – all you know, that in and of itself is – an interesting scenario, uh, you know, a, a talented player, Chris Sims, uh, back in that draft said Butler was the top free safety for him in the draft. Um, we'll see, you know, uh, it, it have maybe a regular role with the starters, uh, puts him up a level in his play. So that's what's going on there. We'll see what else transpires with this team over the next couple of days as they get ready for Atlanta. 
I don't believe we'll see Taylor Heineke this week, at least not as a starter, because Desmond Ritter uh, had a pretty nice game, frankly, in Atlanta's win uh, this past weekend. So uh, we'll see. Somehow Heineke's going to get in. I have faith. But for now, it is um, Desmond Ritter and a run-heavy Atlanta team. I, I got some stats that I threw out the Logan about that. So uh, let's get to this. Uh, again, I really, I always enjoy talking to Logan and I try to get, I, I try to talk about stuff that's beyond sort of just what's in the headlines because, you know, you want to um, take advantage of a guy who knows his stuff and Logan certainly does. So here we go. My conversation with Logan Paulson here on, oh, and look, by the way, let me, let me say you can find Logan's work uh, on the commander's website uh, on his Twitter account at Logan underscore Paulson 82 and the take command podcast. So here we go. Logan Paulson on the standard Grimaldi podcast. All right. Uh, we're going to try to figure out what on earth is going on with these Washington commanders and no better person to do that than former NFL tight end commanders, insider and connoisseur of tap water, Logan Paulson. Uh, I just caught Logan drinking some tap water. That's, that's, that's right. What, that's no. very very exciting um how how are you did you enjoy the the mini buy did you get to do anything i think you said you were going away for a couple days yeah i was going up uh you know so obviously thursday game show friday uh friday night high school football game then i went up on saturday to buffalo to watch my son's hockey games so he uh, they ended up winning that tournament so that was a lot of fun and we drove back yesterday so kind of busy you know not a lot of downtime and you always end up paying for it because i had to stay up till 2 a.m. last night, you know, going over this game and breaking down some film clips for this week's show. So, you know, no rest for the weary, but it was a good time seeing my son play. So that was fun. How about you? Did you do anything? Uh, I did. I went, I didn't go anywhere per se, but I went to the uh, Billy Joel, Stevie Nicks concert at Raven Stadium on Saturday. So I, you know, even on a weekend where I didn't have to go to an NFL game, I was at an NFL stadium. Um, yeah. That was a good time. Um, I, I don't get out much these days. So uh, my friend was in town and uh, it was a, uh, it was, I'll just say I napped a lot uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, over the 24 hours or so after I was uh, back to a normal world here. Um, all right. Um, I don't even know what normal world is for these, for this, for these sure. guys anymore. To an extent, we can sort of use the term, we'll flush away. What happened in the Bears game? We've we've talked about that, and obviously, uh, you've talked about it on your Take Command podcast as well as on uh, what you do on 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 Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson eighty two and on the team site. That said, the question is, how do you fix things going forward? And obviously, sure. the splash plays being allowed on defense have been a huge problem, and that was before the team placed Derek Forrest on IR, Jeremy Reeves as well before i ask you what do they need to do to fix it what does the Derek forest absence mean for this defense overall right now yeah that's a tough deal because i think Derek forest is a pretty good football player and i think he's been very consistent um and i think he's a guy that is just had been getting better and he's a guy that is one of those pieces that um you know the longer he's in a system like most players longer he's in a system the more efficient the more productive he's going to get so obviously that's really challenging and then to miss out on jeremy reeves as well it just really kind of tests your depth like what are you going to do um you know is Quan now your guy at safety even though he's been repping a lot at nickel is, is cam now the full-time post safety and is Quan the box player so you're going to get 
basically you're taking a player who's been very experienced and very good and very efficient for you and putting in a little bit of a more of an unknown commodity, a guy that's still kind of figuring out how figuring out how the defense works. So that's always, always challenging, but you know, it's the NFL football. This is the NFL and that's stuff you got to contend with as a staff and as a team. So hopefully they, uh, they can get that done. Well, okay. So let's just start with this. The Atlanta Falcons are the next game. Sure. Atlanta, uh, they they are these two teams are almost the exact opposite right now of what they're doing uh <laughs> as of so i think this is before their monday night game i was looking this up on true media the commanders are throwing on 68.3 percent of their plays atlanta sure. is 26 in pass attempts sure designed runs washington dead last atlanta fifth like these two teams are in opposite directions. Okay, fine. <laughs> so that said, or opposite philosophies, I'm saying not direction. That said, so knowing that Derek Force is out and the personnel that Washington has, what what would you do in the role of Jack Del Rio or Ron Rivera in terms of positioning this defense to both focus on Atlanta and also you maximize your personnel and get your own stuff straightened out? Yeah, I think what I would do is I would just kind of say, you know, that one of the benefits of having a Thursday night game is you get kind of a mini buy. And what I would do is I'd kind of say, what is it that we're doing really well right now? And how do we maximize what we're doing well? And what are some things that we we used to do well, like, for example, in training camp or in the Baltimore uh, joint practices and say, how do we maximize that stuff? Because sometimes in the course of a season, again, you lose yourself, you lose what you kind of uh, what, what kind of got you to where to, to the point you're at. So I would say, is there any way we can kind of increase the defensive line rotations? You know, I think guys are getting a little bit worn down, a little bit tired. Let's kind of see if we can increase the frequency we get the backups in there. I know that's not ideal, but we got to find our spots. You know, can we get into more of our traditional man match, zone match coverages that we've been very effective at as opposed to just playing straight up man? And again, those are very, very similar. So they might be doing that. It's hard to tell exactly, but um, those are some things I'd probably look at. Is there is there any advantages to playing a little bit more soft zone? Um, no, these are all questions that I would look at. Um, can we blitz a little bit more on third down? Can we? Is there a way that we can ensure that we're we're getting the pressures we want on third down? So those are all things that I think you can do during the bye week. And I and I think there's this tendency by fans to like overreact and freak out um, to a bad loss. And I get it because you're a fan and and it seems like a big deal. And it is a big deal. But I do think that this op- this this affords the team an opportunity to kind of have this self-reflective moment and say, okay, what do we do well? How do we improve what we're doing? How do we maximize the people we've got? And I think, again, hopefully coming out of this period, they'll have a, a much better vision of what they want to be offensively for the next four weeks. You mentioned the defensive rotation. You're right. Like the line, this is always tricky. I remember there were times last year where I'm like, boy, how come John Allen and Deron Payne are playing only in like the 70% of the snaps? Sure. Shouldn't they be more? And then you now it's like, oh, whoa, they're all playing high 80%. Yeah. Are they getting worn down? Is there like in the NBA, like there's always a deal where like, uh, just to use the Lakers as a team off the top of my head, like, like I'm making this up, like at the nine minute mark of the first quarter, LeBron James comes out no matter what's happening and he'll come back in at the start of the next quarter or whatever, and then somebody else will come in. Does that work that way on the defensive line, or is it literally just like we decide, hey, you know, we're going to have this, the start of this set of downs with this, or is it literally just in the moment, let's make the decision when to maybe put in the James Smith-Williams and sit somebody else, things like that? 
Yeah, I, I think it is depending on the staff. At least here, from what I can tell, is tends to be like fatigue dependent. I think they're trying to get guys in. You know, it's like it seems to be like on a five or six player rotation to a one or two, th- three kind of play rotation for those backup guys, which makes sense, right? You want the starters to play more, but I do think you want them to be fresh. And there's times where I'm watching the game on, you know, during long drives or late in games, especially coming off the short week where guys looked a little bit gas, you know, and I don't want to pick on the defensive line here. Because I actually think, you know, surprisingly, they played really well against the, uh, uh, especially in pass rushing situations, they played well against the Chicago Bears. And people say, how is that possible? I mean, when you look at the PFF stuff, so I, I so I, let me just say this first. Independently of the PFF stuff, I chart pressures when I'm breaking down the game. And I'm like, they're, and I highlight them in green. I'm like, man, there's a lot of green on this sheet. And so then I go back and I look at the PFF numbers and the pressure numbers were through the roof, specifically from Chase Young. And so I think that's something that coming out of that game, I think a lot of fans are like, oh man, the defensive line needs to generate more pressure. When in reality, they were generating pressure on about 50% of the snaps, which if you look around the league is an insane metric. So, um, but I do want those guys to be fresh so that they're getting pressure in in critical down and distance situations all the time. So for me, I understand first and second down are, are big downs for the defense, but I'm okay with John Ridgeway, um, you know, Casey Tula, James with Williams, um, Abdullah Anderson in there on first and second down so that I ensure the freshest, most dynamic Chase Young, Montez Sweat, John Allen, and Deron Payne. And so I think that's something that would be a very easy, not easy, because you get the defensive line coach has to be super dialed in on it. And it's hard to get good players off the football field. Like I've heard Chase doesn't want to leave the field, which is great. I love that competitive energy. But also I think informing them saying, hey man, we gotta have you in <clears throat> in the high red zone. We gotta have you on third down. And you gotta be at your freshest. Is something that I think could maximize what they're doing, in addition to some schematic stuff that I think Ron mentioned on Monday in his presser. Um, yeah, you meant you know you mentioned Chase Young, and I was looking up some of the numbers. Like he is staggeringly very ranked, very high in a lot of the pass rush yes. individual categories. He's right there with Aiden Hutchinson, Micah Parsons, and all those kinds of guys. Even though he missed a game, yeah. So that bodes that that that's a good sign of just in terms, especially for where he was off, you know, off the last couple of years. That said, you know, I again, if I'm looking at this from an NBA lineup perspective, I think, well, what I as good as he's been doing there, I've still got some questions, I guess, in the run defense. Would I be better off saying, okay, James Smith Williams or Casey Tuhill, you're going to start air quotes, Uh you're going to play the early downs when it's an obvious run or you know an apparent run scenario. But anytime it's a more obvious pass down or we get to maybe second or third down, I'm going to put Chase Young in. But also this allows me to have one of the four starters, at least on the field at all times, kind of right. I mean, it's like if I'm going to sit Deron Payne and Allen, maybe then I'll put Chase Young in there. Um, I guess what do you think of that sort of approach? And I guess to that end, Chase Young, the pass numbers are good, but how has he been doing in the in the run defense? Because I guess fair or not, the defense has been downsliding since he came back yeah um so yeah i don't think that's necessarily a fair thing to assign to chase i think he's done a fine job and i think chase is a a good football player and i think while his run support numbers are not maybe as effective as like montez's for example i think he's he's good he's good enough in that area and so i think i think the 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 systematic kind of defensive issues are more reflective of stuff that's going on in the back end as opposed to stuff that's going on with the defensive line. That's why I bring that up. So, you know, in, in the, in the bears game, I think that's a really good example. I think 
there are times, like I said, where they're creating a ton of pressure, you know, like 50, 50% of the dropbacks essentially is they're creating a meaningful type of pressure. I think it's 43 or 45%, which is again, an insanely high number. However, one of the things that I notice is that in critical situations, specifically on third down, the pressure isn't there, right? It's not there as consistently. And that's one of the things you see with those like explosive plays, you know, you see the explosive play on Benjamin St. Just on the third play of the game that goes to uh, more that's third down. Now Chicago does a good job with their protection plan, but there's not a lot of pressure from the defensive line, the touchdown versus Tampa two in the red zone where Percy Butler is shading, um, you know, the Tampa two seam, uh, to, to more is again, there's not a ton of pressure there. So what I would say is to your point, Ben, is the it doesn't really to me matter the rotation. I just want to make sure those guys are as fresh as possible. Because if they're fresh as possible, they're they're more dynamic, right? So again, it doesn't need to be on first down James or Casey's in or FA's in if he comes back. It doesn't need to be that necessarily. It's just like, hey man, we're on a this is an eight play drive. For two of these middle downs, can we get other guys in there so that they are more dynamic and fresher as we kind of move to the red zone or, Hey, third down's coming up. Let's get those guys in there. Let them hunt a little bit. And I think that's more what I'm talking about. It, it doesn't need to be a drastic kind of like this NBA thing where they're sitting out for, you know, periods and quarters. It doesn't need to be that. It just, you're looking to reduce the workload from 40 plays a game to 30 or 35. And again, that's not a lot of reduction, but that can, that, that can be impactful in terms of making sure the rush and their stamina is effective in those critical down and distances. By the way, I find it so fascinating that this is week six. And if you had said to me before the season started, we'd be talking about one side of the ball that needs fixing. I wouldn't have thought it would be the defense, uh, but we're going to stay with the defense for another uh, another minute here. I want to go back to the secondary. As you recall, the last couple of years, was a lot of talk about man versus zone, in part because William Jackson could not apparently figure out yeah. how to play zone. And this was a big consternation and all these things. And now we've seen the last two weeks where the teams they played, AJ, AJ Brown and then DJ Moore, just blew up Washington's secondary. And, and it wasn't just those guys making plays. According to True Media, Washington has played 35.1% of their defensive snaps in man the last two weeks, which is the third most in the league. The, the rest of the teams are independent of what Washington is doing, but it's, it's a sign of using this more why what do you make of that does that mean anything to you that they've been using at least relative to the rest of the league man more these last couple games and in turn they've gotten beat significantly uh down the field well it's interesting because i think when you look at the aggregate of 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 the team's performance so let's start with the buffalo bills i think that's a good place to start you know there were explosive plays but to me a lot of those explosive plays didn't occur in the rhythm and timing of the play. It's Josh Allen extending plays. It's, right. um, you know, kind of working off schedule scramble drill, which is notoriously tough to deal with in man-to-man situations. So I think the coverage is probably fine. The defense on the whole is probably fine. I know a lot of fans don't want to hear that, but to me, if it's 16-0 going into the fourth quarter against the team that's going to be in the Super Bowl, I think the defense is holding up their end of the bargain, especially after the offense has given up. I think it was the fourth turnover at that point. So I, yeah. I I checked that off as kind of a, a moral victory or a win for the defense. I know it doesn't lead to an actual win, and I'm well aware of that. But in terms of production, I think you're okay. And I think you look at the Philly game, and I think, again, there's a Super Bowl contending team. Like, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Like, that's one of the best rosters in football. And I think through the first half, you see Jack's philosophy kind of at the forefront of what this team wants to be. 
Bemba don't break, find critical third downs, win in those situations, force them to punt. One of the best teams in football scores seven points on you in a two-minute drive after giving up an explosive play to your rookie wide receiver, they get three. And so I think one of the things about that game specifically is I think if you, I don't want to say you remove Emmanuel Forbes, but if you remove some of the mistakes that Emmanuel Forbes gave you or gives you in that game, um, I think the outcome is totally different because basically he accounts for a hundred and he was a hundred and almost 225 yards of receiving counting uh, Devontae Smith's catch. So, and again, that's not all his fault. I think he's a good position on a lot of those, but if you can play, if you can put that young man in better situations, I think the defense is much better. And I think we're talking about the defense in a much different situation. So I, I know, I know I'm kind of explaining away stuff and this is what happens when you watch a lot of film. There's reasons for all this stuff. But in those two games, I think the defensive performance is probably better than people think outside the performance of of one young player and outside of a performance where the offense literally did nothing in terms of supporting the defense. Now we get to Chicago. And I think what you see there is you see kind of like the worst case scenario for this group. You see a, a team that came in with a plan, a very effective plan, probably modeling some of what they did after what Buffalo did in terms of mitigating pass rush having a receiver that can win one-on-one situations and they were able to find explosive plays. Now I look at some of the plays that obviously the one to um, more at the beginning, the touchdown that Percy's in the bad position on, like those are, those are just wins for the offense. Now the one to Kendall Fuller where he's in perfect position for the touchdown, like they made a play like good kudos to them. But in terms of how you would coach it, how you would coach Fuller, I don't know if you would coach him any differently. Then you get to Forbes. I think he misses a tackle on one. He goes for a PBU on one. Those are mistakes that, again, are backbreaking going into the the middle of the second quarter into the second half. So while I think the first two performances are probably fine, that third performance, there's a lot of mistakes, a lot of issues that kind of, again, maybe you take away a couple of mistakes here and there. It looks very different. But I do think that that one to me is probably the most glaring because the rush and the coverage are not kind of working together as they should and you see a, a, an offense that hasn't traditionally been productive in the bears be very very productive and again playing man-to-man coverage kind of leads to these leads to more opportunities for explosive plays in my opinion i think that's what you saw in the game all right i got one one last defensive question then we're going to get to the offense uh, everybody wants something to change some some head on a pike something sure. to do in the lineup whatever it is I, my my part of my issue is i don't even know i look around i, I just don't see yeah. What an obvious move would be. So you kind of almost have to go outside the box. So here's a very outside the box one. You tell me what you think. There was a lot of talk about Kalik Hudson improving over the, from the, the last game of last year throughout the offseason, but hasn't put one snap, I think, or, you know, he and David may have one snap combined. And I'm not, and this isn't even about sit playing him over Jamin or Cody Barton. It is, however, he's built sort of like a guy who would play Buffalo nickel. Sure. Is there a world where now in this situation with no Derek Forrest, with Emmanuel Forbes getting benched the other day and Rivera sort of suggesting, hey, maybe this is going to continue because we can't, at least for the moment, because we can't afford to have these kinds of lapses. They clearly have been at least shy about putting Quan Martin out there. Is there any scenario where it would make sense to look at Khalid Hudson in that Buffalo nickel role, knowing right now where things stand and including this particular game with Atlanta wants to run a lot. Is there anything to that? Or is that not even a possibility just because of his abilities or style or whatever? 
No, I mean, I think it's definitely very, I think it's plausible. I don't know if it's likely, but it is plausible in, in the sense. And what I mean by that is like, like you said, he has a skill set that would be very good to stopping the run being aggressive. He was playing better during training camp. I think he's a guy that has some explosive twitch to him that can play in space. Now, I don't think it's something you want to live in, but I think that's, I think, do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. And the reason, let me tell you why. I think one of the reasons you don't want that to happen is because the league is so pass centric. Even even uh, even Atlanta is passing the ball like over fifty percent of the time. You need to find guys who can match up with receivers, and I think that's the way the game is going. That's the way the game is trending. That's why in this defense, there's so much value placed on coverage players. Right? We have all these safeties. We've got all these guys that can kind of play both spots: Percy, Forrest, Cam, and obviously those guys are injured now. But Quan, I think, would probably get the nod over him just because, again, he gives you some coverage flexibility. And so while I do think Kalik's a good player, I think the the, the the deficiency he brings from a coverage standpoint will always limit his ability to play that Buffalo nickel spot. Because unfortunately, that Buffalo nickel spot, they do have some very strenuous cover responsibilities. It's essentially a nickel position, right? So what I would say is, Yes, he could do that, but I think you, I think the team would go in the direction of Quan Martin before they do that. Now it's possible. Uh, I just don't know how likely it is in, in answer to your question. Okay, Fair. I, you know, I just want people to know that I'm thinking over here. So it's, no, it's I, good. I, I like I, it. It's very. I, it's I don't very... know what to. I don't know what to do, but like you know, we'll see. Okay, let's get to the offense. Uh, not perfect, but look, they they put up 31 points on the Eagles the other day, including a two-minute drive to get the game-tying touchdown. And at least in the second half against the Bears, they were more rep- far more representative of some good stuff, I thought, than the defense was. But there's still some questions. So let me ask you this. That we'll, we'll play here. What would you do with, and then you can answer however you want, what would you do with Jahan Dotson, who has, his numbers have not been there? And I don't know if you view that as more him than uh, or, or, or the circumstances with the play calling or what have you. But he has not gotten going. A lot of his numbers are are, are are off from from last year, and I don't even just mean the basic yards, catches, et cetera. What do you do with Jahan Dotson? Well, I don't think you need to do anything differently. I think there's this kind of this for whatever reason this logic from fans that they need to do something to promote production from certain players. As a, as a coach, as a player, like and again, this is just my personal opinion. <clears throat> if the offense is being productive. I don't really care about who's getting the production, quite honestly. Now, I think Jahan's a good football player. I think Curtis is a good football player. I think Terry's a good football player. Logan's been very productive, right? The backs are very productive. So th- there is a lot of opportunity to football. And one of the things I love about this offense is that's what Sam's been doing. And I think there are situations where Jahan's been in one-on-ones. I think of a couple from the Philly game where he just doesn't win the way you'd like him to win and he and again like that'll come as sam develops a relationship with him and, and Jahan gets more confident about what he can and can't do to win on routes but i do think like Jahan's playing fine football you know like sometimes i question whether he's in the right position based on the concept and detailing up stuff but that that's stuff that's all associated with him being new to an offense and kind of new to the nfl as a whole so i don't really think anything needs to be done like obviously if there was like a drastic deficiency in offensive production over the last couple of weeks i'd say man like how do you get the ball to your playmakers how do you spark this offense and that would definitely kind of include having a conversation about what Jahan's role is but it doesn't bother me because i think you look at sam and sam being the most critical part of this offense he seems to be very comfortable and productive 
Like that Philly game was amazing. The second half of the of the the uh, the Bears game was very good. I, obviously, there were some times where he's vacating clean pockets. He's missing, you know, reads like in terms of where the ball should go. I thought just based on how the coverage was just was distributed. But I think on the whole, you say, man, he's playing good football. He's making big time throws. The level of difficulty is what of what he's doing is very challenging, and his ability to extend plays with his feet is awesome. So as long as he's excelling. And the offense as a whole is productive. I don't know if we nece- if there's nothing anything we necessarily need to do to support the growth of one player. And I guess and again, I, like I said, I don't think Jahan's playing badly. And there's the opportunities in the Philly game where I thought he could have been he, he could maxim he could maximize those opportunities. But I I ultimately I don't think it's a huge a huge deal. Okay, um, what would you do with Eric Bieniemy's first half play calling? <laughs> uh, the Commanders lead the league again at least going into monday night lead the league in first half passes and i know some people have been saying well they've been trailing all the time that i no i don't i don't buy that like you said the buffalo game was only 16 nothing in the fourth quarter this last game sure they it was 27 to 3 at halftime and the denver yeah. game they were down 21 to 3 but had already come back a little bit there I, I it feels like it is more philosophical than it is otherwise so what do you say about that are you cool with it or would you what would you do with that first half play calling again from an analytics approach i think this is exactly what you want to be in 2023 now that seems now that this is this is the most extreme version and you say like the analytics support this because you know passing the football is more efficient than running the football i do i would what i would say if eb and i were having a conversation i would say are you leveraging your young signal caller too much too early in the game and I think his answer would be no. But for me, who's a little bit more conservative offensively, a little bit more traditional, I'd say maybe we can run the ball a little bit more. I think the way he called the Philly game was was masterful. I thought he did a great job of using quick game, using rolls, moving the pocket, um, running the football to kind of alleviate some of the pressure on Sam while still having the ability to throw the football the way he wants to throw it. So to me, that's like EB at his best from a play call game flow standpoint. Um, and so I think there are times, and again, like when you look at the bears game, we were not efficient. The commanders were not efficient running the football. So as a play caller, in my experience, if you're not efficient running the football, it's really easy to drop that and just be like, Hey, why do I want to start the drive second and 10 when I could throw the football and my efficiency is going to be higher from a EPA per play. And you know, the worst thing that can happen is it's second and 10 minus an interception, obviously. So I think that's what I would say is like, while this doesn't, this doesn't feel like traditional commanders or Redskins football, it's, it's, it is football in 2023. And I, I would say, again, I'm kind of talking myself in circles here, but there is a benefit to running the ball. And I think you saw his understanding of that benefit in the Philly game. And I think you didn't get to see it as well or as acutely in the Chicago game in large part because of game flow. This is why we have you on here. All right, let's go to another topic. What would you do with the offensive line slash pass protection? Now, I I add the slash there because Washington, according to, again, uh, True Media, so of their 29 sacks, 23 have come with five blockers. and I, what did I write? I'm trying to read my notes. 12.8 percentage <laughs> of sacks per attempts with five blockers ranks 31st. So they are not, they're using five blockers far more than other teams. And relatively speaking, it's not working. 
Now, obviously, they've got the three receivers. That, well, is that wait? Can you repeat that statistic just so we can understand exactly what's happening? So they're running five. They're they're in empty empty protection or scat protection more than anybody else. And they're, also, uh, they're they're thirty first in. And they're you know yeah I mean yeah they, yeah they're using only one team is I think is using five blockers more okay than than they are, and they've given up twenty three of their twenty nine sacks okay in that setup. So an obvious thing. What's, want the, to... what's the correlation between again? Sorry, this is the nerd in me coming out. Sure. Is is there a percentage associated with the number of sacks to the number of plays they're running? Like in terms of percentage versus versus scat? Like what's the percentage there? Um, I don't know if I have that in. Oh, in front dang of it! Dang. But but but, he, but sort sort of my point with this is that I kind of keep thinking that is Bienemy just running the system he would run with the Chiefs, but he's doing it here, i.e., Sam Howe throwing the ball a ton. He's not Mahomes or even just a veteran to maybe dial that back. And in terms of the the blocking, last year with the Chiefs, the Chiefs had a 3.9% sack rate when using five blockers. Mm-hmm. So it, they also were they were a team with three pro bowlers, and uh, they had a much better line. So I understand why the inclination would be, well, let's stay with five blockers here, except for the fact that you don't have three pro bowlers. Uh the Chiefs last year gave up 22 sacks on the season. And I know that Mahomes is a huge reason for mm-hmm. getting out of some of that stuff. But, like, it almost feels to me like he's calling the offense or the, he has been based on what he had over there rather than calling it for here. And just to localize it again, the, the, the five blockers versus keeping in a tight end or somebody else. I guess that's sort of my wonder. Is that something that you would look at and say maybe that's something they need to do to help everybody out here? Gosh, that's a really complicated question, and it's gonna. I'm gonna give you a complicated answer, or at least the best I can give you. So a lot of people say, "Oh, let's keep more blockers in," and again, that is uh, that. There's that. That's been the tale as old as time. You bring more blockers in, right? However, when you're bringing bringing more blockers in, let's say you're leaving a tight end, and usually that tight end is now in a one-on-one situation with one of the best pass rushers on the field. <laughs> right. So in terms of being effective in that situation, because usually what you do, let's say the tight end's on the offensive right. I'm going to block the right defensive end and the offensive line is going to slide left. So that helps the five offensive linemen because the left tackle gets a slide to him. The guard's going to slide to him. The center gets a guard sliding to him and the tackle sliding down. However, now I'm in a situation as a tight end where I don't pass protect all the time. I'm physically outmatched and I'm going to give up a sack or a pressure. So let's say I want to leave a back end to help the tight end. Let's make it a seven man protection. So I leave the back end. Now so many teams are playing man-match coverages. The second the tight end stays in and the back stays in, they're going to green dog. They're going to add pressures. So you're inviting more rushers sometimes with this. You're getting getting less effective pass protectors in, and you're inviting more rushers. Now, I'm not saying never do that. I think it's important to do that because anytime you can change the distribution of pass blockers, it affects the pass rush. So is it something you can sprinkle in? Absolutely. The other thing about that five-man uh, protection statistic is I think this offense does an excellent job of using chip help from tight ends, from backs, and then getting to the flat to create the horizontal distribution. Because another problem of running uh, protections with more pass protectors is you lose eligibles into the concept, which might not seem like a big deal. But what it does do is it constricts throwing lanes. What does that mean? So instead of getting the, the tight end to the flat and that hook player having to widen with the flat player and creating a hole for like a hook or a dig behind it, now that hook player just stays right connects to the formation and it makes that throw significantly harder. So I know there's this call to kind of increase the number of bodies in on protection, but there are pros and cons to doing that. And I think it, unless you shouldn't say that or shouldn't recommend that 
unless you know what you're getting out of each look. Does that make sense? So that's one thing I would say. Another thing I would say is that with the five-man protections, one of the things I've noticed is that it helps distribute the field a lot better for Sam Howell. So he can find matchups much better. So I look, I think about the, the Bills game, for example. They're an empty. He completes a ball to Curtis Samuel on the left sideline. He's able to do that because he's able to look out, see that it's a man coverage, what's my best matchup, which throw do I like the best, and then deliver a perfect ball. It's the same thing with the Gibson ball that he was completing uh, in the um, in the Bears game, right, in the second half of that football game. The empty, the five blockers, allow you to distribute the coverage in a way that is more efficient for the quarterback to see. Now, they have a very high pressure rate. I think that has a large correlation to do with how long Sam holds the football. Sam is, I think he has the longest time to throw or second longest time to throw in the NFL. That's been well documented. And I think he, again, when, when you're working with Patrick Mahomes, when you're working with a guy like that, he understands how to get the football out of his hands. Sam isn't quite there yet. He's learning, he's growing, he's getting better. But in terms of protecting him, it's not always as obvious as like, let's bring more people in, let's pack this sucker in, let's increase protection. It doesn't always work like that. There's pros and cons to both. And I think it's about utilizing an effective plan to maximize Sam in terms of seeing the coverage and maximize the offensive line. I like it. I like it. I like where your head's at. Um, all right. La- last thing. So how, how does things get, how do things improve? Whatever that means. Obviously Sam's taking a lot of hits. Um, you know, again, the offense by and large is putting up some decent numbers, but at the same point, you know, three points against the bills. They only had three at halftime against the bears. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple, you know, we mentioned the first half passing seems maybe a little bit out of whack. So I'm trying to think like, what's something that, that I would do? Maybe, a, a, you know, if you can't make obvious lineup changes, what else could you do? I'll throw out a random idea that I just came up with while sure. we're sitting here. And then you can give me whatever you think would be a suggestion to make. I get what you're saying about the five man protections. What about this? If they're going to pass the ball as much as they are. And Sam's taking these hits. What if you do? Three receiver, two tight end, put Curtis Samuel in the backfield. He's get some touches out of there and some looks out of there anyway. I'm not saying this is on the regular, but you can give him some some touches there. You can have Sam Howell roll out from some RPOs to give you a little bit of the run game. And with the two tight ends, you get a little more protection if you want it. You can, you can motion Samuel out. Either way, you keep your three receivers on the field and get you still have the run, uh, the run pass protection there with the tight end. Is that insane? Even just to try it out, or uh, uh, Logan? I should I should say Logan is uh, slightly smiling at me with the look of "Oh, you're so cute." But go ahead. No, what, what, it's, uh... it's not even that. Like to me, like that's a that's a that's a game plan decision. That's something that you can do for a game plan to get a specific look. Because ultimately, you're trying as an offensive coordinator, offensive play caller, to find formations and personnel groupings that create a consistent response from the defense because if you are giving me a consistent response i can find a play that's going to beat that look and so uh with that specific look that you're describing i'm not sure what the defense's response would be and i would be a little bit leery to run it because how are they going to match me they're going to match me in base they're going to match me in nickel they probably match me in nickel um and then i have a but they also know that i can't really pass protect with the back in this situation because curtis samuel while a very dynamic runner um is not a very good pass protector. I haven't seen him pass protect at all since he's been here. And so I want to rush the back if it's a passing situation. If it's we're running the football, obviously like that suits you really well, but what is the advantage of having him on the field as opposed to a pure running back? 
if I want to run between the tackles or attack outside zone. So I think about advantages and disadvantages, and I think that's one of the reasons why, in my opinion, their 11 personnel has been so effective for them. You get your best football players on the field, Logan Thomas, B-Rob, or Gibson, um, and then you have your three receivers, who I think are the strength of this team. And so when you have those three playmakers, you have three matchups you like, you have speed that can create space in the defense. And I think all those things are more advantageous as opposed to getting in a formation or a personnel grouping where you could get into it a couple times a game, but like, what is the actual advantage of it? You know, you mentioned running RPOs, like you're running RPOs to a three receiver side with a tight end attached. That can get a little bit muddy. Who's the read guy? Where's he fitting? Is the nickel guy in the box or not? And again, those are things that need to be kind of worked and digested and discussed in the week to cultivate an appropriate game plan. And so for me, the solution to this problem is just finding a, uh, a more natural rhythm as a play caller. Because I look at, again, I look at what he did versus the EB did versus the Philly game. The running of the football, the quick game, the movement of the pocket, that to me is where you want to live. That's where you want to live in terms of insulating your quarterback and make it easy for Sam. Obviously, game flow in the Chicago game made that almost impossible, right? And people look at the Bills game and say, oh, we should have done that in the Bills game. But in the Bills game, I look back and I say, man, they're in single high structure. They've got eight guys in the box, seven guys in the box. If they have a six-man blocking surface, you're not going to run the ball effectively there. Again, I got to throw them out of it. So coming out of the second half, I think that's one of the reasons you see an explosion in terms of running production uh, from the offense. And so to me, I'd say I want to maximize those looks where we're running into clean looks and good boxes. Can we get a, a play call in where we have a can, like run, can, pass, or pass, can, run? So we can maximize that look from the quarterback. Again, that puts a little bit more stress on a young signal caller. There are a lot of things you can do, but I think ultimately the simplest version is EB finding a balanced, varied game plan, which he's shown he can do, and he does a very good job of that, that allows Sam to express the best qualities of Sam, express the best qualities of that five-man projection stuff you're talking about, while also limiting the exposure of Sam as a decision-maker and limiting the exposure of the offensive line on a down-to-down -down basis is what I'd say. And that's the simplest kind of least technical version, but I think it's the most straightforward and it's the one that gets you the result you want. That's why we come back to him over and over again when we have questions about X's and O's, uh, the commanders, and uh, you know now tap water uh, as, as well. Uh, Logan, <laughs> Logan Paul said, go listen to him on the Take Command podcast. Find him, of course, on the commander's website. Uh, does some TV there as well. And Instagram, Logan underscore Paulson 82. Any, any of your other 12 jobs we need to mention here? That's or? good. Thank you for mentioning those. I appreciate it, Ben. Appreciate all, it. All good. You, you're the best. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And uh, hey, look, they're two and three. They beat Atlanta. They're back to 500. The, the giant, the reeling giants are next. Who knows? Maybe they're four and three in two weeks and we're all going, ah, what were we worried about? But we'll see. About <laughs> it. We'll see. My God. Thanks a lot. Thanks, bud. All right. Big thanks to Logan Paulson for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Uh, we'll be we'll have more this week uh, on here as well as on the athletic. Um, but that is it for now. Until next time, see ya.